In this episode, we discuss the role of open source in building industrial IoT solutions. We discuss why open source matters for addressing challenges of IoT implementation. We discuss the open source IoT stack, open standards for data aggregation, why semantic interoperability is important for the success of IoT, and we also discuss MQTT SparkPlug and its value to implementers and end users. My guest on this episode is Frederick Debian. Frederick is working at the Eclipse Foundation as the program manager for IoT and edge computing. His job is to help the community innovate by bringing devices and software together. He is a strong supporter of open source and in the past he's worked as product manager, solutions architect and developers for companies as diverse as Pivotal, Cisco and Oracle. Frederick holds an MBA in Electronic Commerce, a BSc in Computer Science, and a BED all from Laval University. Quick thank you to our sponsors. This video is made possible by our friends at HiveMQ, who are providers of an MQTT broker. Please do check them out on the link below to help support this channel. Welcome to the fourth generation podcast here on Industry40.tv, which is a series of weekly interviews designed to help you learn IIoT from some of the world's leading practitioners. So make sure to subscribe and click on the notification bell to make sure that you never miss any of the interviews. If you find this conversation interesting, please review it with five stars on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and connect with me on LinkedIn at Kudzai Mandi Teresa. Now here's my conversation with Frederick. So Frederick, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Uh, I would like to welcome you to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Awesome. Okay, so today uh, I really want to speak to you about uh, the role of open source uh, in building industrial IoT uh, solutions. So to, to start off, um, what do you see as being the key challenges when it comes to implementing industrial IoT solutions? Uh, industrial IoT is certainly a complex landscape, right? Because the one thing that you have to understand when you think about it is that the time frame for industrial IoT is, is completely different than for your typical IT project. Typically on the on the shop floor or factory floor, when do when will you rip up and start a new, right? Maybe every once every 20 years or something, or even you know, longer than that. So typically when you do industrial IoT, you have to deal with lots of legacy technologies because there are massive capital investments in those machines and, you know, everything around. And then at the, on the other end, there is a, a actually more and more pressure to, uh, to modernize, right? So you need to integrate new technologies alongside legacy. They don't play well necessarily with, with literature and Obviously, there are efforts to try to streamline that, and OPC UA is an example of that. And I think you, you had some deep dives into that with, uh, you know, in other episodes of your podcast. But uh, the problem with that is, you know, even even in, in in those specs that try to streamline things like OPC UA, I mean, the, the complexity is staggering there. The OPC uh, uh, specification being over three thousand pages, so it's not, it's a lot of things to integrate. And then uh, obviously uh, another risk there or, or key challenge is that although we see more and more openness in that market, um, there are some large vendors that play proprietary strategies up to a point. They will support some open protocols, but they try to push their old style legacy things. And 
you know, navigating all of that, especially if, if you are starting in the industry or, um, you know, if you have a smaller team is, is not necessarily easy. But in the yeah. end, to me, the, the key thing to remember is that essentially openness creates real robust ecosystems. So if you are just starting about modernizing and integrate new technologies on your, uh, on your floor, in your, uh, in your infrastructure, the one thing to remember is that the only ecosystems that will win on the long-term are those who are actually open in the sense that, think about it in terms of bread, okay? Yeah. Bread making, we don't know when when it happened. You know, it's it's lost in the midst of history. But what makes bread incredible is that wherever you go in the world, you can have local breads that are you know special that you won't necessarily have home and all sorts of traditions. This diversity is incredible. Yeah. Now think if bread making had been a, a closed secret and only five big companies in the world could offer you bread, the whole bread ecosystem would be much more boring and less useful and less even uh, profitable in a commercial perspective. So it's the same for software, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the sense that if you, if, you, if you have a closed ecosystem, then uh, you don't have as much competition, as much innovation, and overall, everyone is losing in a scenario like that. Oh, okay. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So you have already touched quite a, a bit on, uh, on, on the advantages of, of openness uh, when it comes to then implementing an industrial IoT solution. Uh, why would it matter to use open source, you know, uh, as opposed to, to, to proprietary technologies? Yeah, there are many advantages there, but let's say that I have the chance at the foundation, we do surveys uh, all the time. One for commercial adoption, typically early in the year, and one targeted to developers later in the year. So we, we are just about on June 8 to publish the results of our 2021 commercial adoption survey. And we asked this question to people, why is open source valuable to you in IIoT scenarios? And uh, essentially the top three answers, okay, were this. Mm -hmm. Customization was number one at 29%. Cost was second at 19%, and then more control was third at 14%. And, and to me, this is significant, and people could only pick one, right? So, uh, you know, overall, there were other answers, and it adds up to 100%. But um, what is fascinating there is that you see, yes, cost is a consideration, but it was number two. And when you look at customization at number one and more control at number three, then you have you know, the more compelling reasons. Uh, IIoT is all about getting the right type of hardware, the right type of integration at the right price. And to that, you know, having features that you won't use and all of that, you know, that, that's not something you want to pay for. So the fact that with open source, you can really tailor the software and even the hardware now with all of the great RISC-V and other open source hardware technologies. Uh, even in modulation, you have Dash 7, which uses an open modulation. Uh, anyway, uh, all of that means that you can really tailor your solution to the use case. And then more control is important as well, because uh, essentially, when you think about industrial IoT, uh, yeah, I, I keep repeating myself, you know, it's, it's different from IT. Why? Because the time frame is longer, it's heterogeneous, you have to integrate 
hardware from various vendors. No one is a one-stop shop in that market. Uh, there are many physical constraints like power consumption, dust, vibration, etc. you need to take into account. And obviously the network uh, is, is something in the sense that uh, you have to engineer around the fact that maybe your network won't be as reliable as you wish for, and then you need backup strategies, things like that. And open source addresses each one of those things. The time frame, when you have the source code, you can maintain things over the long haul, even if commercial support is dropped. It's heterogeneous. Well, it's easier if you have the source code for all of those uh, hardware and, uh, and even uh, software components. The constraints, well, you tailor because you have the source code. And even uh, in a networking perspective, it's much more easier uh, and you have more freedom of choice to pick the right networking technologies when the underlying layers are open source. So for all of those reasons, open source is the right, uh, right way to go there. Interesting. That's quite some interesting stuff there. So now when it comes to the composition, the actual composition of an industrial uh, IoT solution, uh, what would you say are the key components uh, of putting together an industrial IoT solution? Oh, gosh. Uh, so obviously it's hard to generalize there, but I will try. Um, first, you, you have to start with the right development tools. I mean, that's of, often an over, uh, something that's over, uh, you know, that's forgotten. But when you pick a specific platform, paying attention to the type of developer tools that you are getting is really important. And at the Eclipse Foundation, we've had a success story there in that market for a long time with the traditional desktop ID. Uh, our C development tools, you know, have been adopted by most of the vendors in the market, like NXP and uh, ST Micro and all of the others. They have Eclipse-based solutions for you to develop on their boards and things like that. But now what we see emerge is that there's a new wave of cloud development tools, so browser-based development environments. And embedded vendors see a lot of interest in that because essentially, well, it's simpler to, to onboard new team members when you don't have to install you know, tons of uh, developer tools on the machine. You just go to the website, you plug the board, and then you can interact with the tools. So that's why in our cloud development tools working group, which is not something I, I care about, that's my uh, colleague, Brian King, but they've got an embedded SIG there special interest group of uh, tool builders that really focus on embedded. So the development environment to us at the foundation is critically important. Then uh, if we, if we uh, take a step back and, and look in a wider perspective at the architecture for industrial IoT, you start by picking the right sensors and actuators for your job and, and the constraint devices that you will drive. Uh, whether it is a retrofit project where you add sensors to older legacy machines or pick brand new machines with capabilities, uh, compute even capabilities built in, uh, paying at a close attention to that and to the openness is, is one important uh, first step. Then obviously you need to think about the protocols you will leverage you know at at some point i was on the i was on the uh, advisory committee or, uh, for a conference and we were judging sessions and I, I could see the comments of other judges on on the sessions and and my own sessions was about picking the right protocol for your industrial iot uh, project and someone made the comment hey when you use this platform i will <laughs> you know, uh, I will censor the name of the platform, but when you pick this platform, uh, you don't have to pay attention to the protocol, right? It supports everything. Well, well no, 
<laughs> I mean, depending on what you're trying to achieve, you need to pick the right protocol for the job. And there is so much variety there, whether, whether it is OPC UA, Co-op, MQTT, MQTT and Sparkplug, uh, et cetera. I mean, being really intentional about what you pick there is critical. Then obviously you need to pay attention to what kind of gateways and edge nodes eventually if you do edge computing, you will, you will deploy. Uh, because especially if you need to bridge legacy with more modern technologies, the gateway and edge nodes, they play a, a critical role in, in making everything secure and, and making, uh, making it possible to integrate stuff. And, and, and ultimately then there's a question of whatever IoT platform you will use. And there my preference will always go to platforms that you can deploy, whether it's on a virtual machine or containers, uh, you know, in a very flexible way. Uh, there are great things that happen uh, in AWS and Azure and Google Cloud and things like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, let's say that uh, as an open source advocate, I'm not, I'm not necessarily objective on that question, but I would be wary about leveraging those very uh, uh, cloud provider specific IoT platforms, uh, at least you know, maybe you can push some of the data there if you see features that you like at a price that you like. But, uh, you know, uh, in a data sovereignty perspective, for example, I wouldn't, you know, use that as the main, uh, the main hub for all of my business critical data, for example. Okay, that's, uh, that's quite interesting. Now, you, you mentioned the edge, uh, edge computing and gateways. And uh, to a certain extent, uh, the hardware part of IIoT gateway has been uh, commoditized. Now it, 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 it's more dependent on the uh, software for, 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 for core functionality of, uh, of IoT gateways. So what does that open source tech uh, for, for IoT gateways uh, look like uh, for you? So uh, essentially, we, we see two schools of, uh, of, uh, of thinking there uh, at uh, the Eclipse Foundation. One is about having a pre-integrated gateway plus uh, IoT cloud platform stack built together. And then the other approach would be to use container orchestration on the gateway or at the edge, okay? So when we dig a bit deeper, when I talk about the pre-integrated stack there, uh, this is, uh, or those are at Eclipse, the Eclipse Cura and Eclipse Kapua projects. So Eclipse Cura is a Java slash OSGI based uh, gateway platform that you can deploy on any uh, any ruggedized hardware uh, with the proper connectors that will run uh, Linux, essentially. And, and it's written in Java, so it's portable and will adapt to a variety of environments. Uh, it's great because out of the box, it will come with connectors for most of the major protocols. And obviously the OSGI stack is a very mature stack that you can use in order to build your own extensions to the platform. So obviously our friends at Eurotech Tech are not only using Cura, but selling uh, everywhere software pl platform as a commercial offering on the top of it. But you know, even the base open source version is fully featured enough that anyone could leverage it and, and build solutions around it, uh, no questions asked. What is interesting recently in the Cura ecosystem is that we, we've seen some Eurotech partners starting to contribute to the project. Uh, recently, we had a French company called Stir One Technologies and they, they contributed a new Wi-Fi component uh, to, to the platform and they are building their own gateways with another partner. So 
you see this ecosystem growing in an open way it's, and it's great. And, and then the Kapua platform that goes along with it, you know, it does device management and data management and things like that. So you have really an end-to-end -end solution that's really great for very small organization or even larger ones. And, and, and it's a mature one. That's one of the first projects we have at Eclipse IoT. Then there's the angle of doing container orchestration in the sense that maybe what you want is to deploy very, very specific software components that are not necessarily written in Java and things like that. And then we've got a fantastic container orchestration platform that's called Eclipse IOFog. Eclipse IOFog, uh, you know, can run uh, in standalone mode, and then it will use its own container runtime to run the containers locally. Uh, on various nodes orchestrated with a central controller. And then uh, you can integrate it with Kubernetes and then you can uh, you know, spread out the workloads from a central control plane, but you don't have to install Kubernetes on each of, of the very small nodes, uh, which is something I wouldn't do personally, but <laughs> to yeah. each his own. Um, in any case, this is a bit the more generic approach, but very flexible in the sense that whatever you can containerize, you can deploy. And then typically any, any, any node that will run uh, Linux, you know, and as you mentioned, this is, uh, this is a commodity and Linux is a commodity. So you have plenty of choice at, at very, very good prices, even for ruggedized hardwares. Uh, so, you know, both approaches have their have their value and see and, and saw great success in uh, in our ecosystem at Eclipse. Oh, okay. So now, <clears throat> data aggregation uh, is, a, is a is a is a key aspect uh, really in that uh, uh, in, in in building an industrial IoT uh, solution. So what what open standards are available for for for, for data aggregation? There are so many of them. Uh, and, and typically what we do at Eclipse IoT uh, will integrate with the great innovations that are happening for data management and big data and things like that in the market rather than reinvent the wheel. So what we've seen in our ecosystem is a lot of people integrate, for example, with Apache Camel or Kafka or, or platforms like that in order to process messages in a certain way and then distribute to specific databases. And, and the same with Hadoop and larger data marts and data stores. Um, one, one interesting thing that we, 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 we've seen emerge, however, is really what people are trying to do with this data. And so uh, essentially, uh, the, 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 the way that people is, uh, specifically will, will start doing AI in a, in a multi-tiered way, where essentially you do basic analytics, let's say on a video camera, straight on the camera, and then send an aggregation of that somewhere, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, but the big problem there is that most of the AI platforms, most of them are open source, TensorFlow is open source and things like that. So there are ecosystems around this, but there's no, there's not one uh, you know, uh, single solution there. And uh, going from one framework to, to another will be, will be complicated at times. So what's interesting is that uh, we've seen, for example, in our Eclipse ecosystem, people that start leveraging the OPC UA data models, for example. And rather than use the full OPC UA stack and protocol, they just, they just take out the data representations. 
And then they will put that on the top of something else like our spark plug protocol. And in fact, this has been demonstrated by the advanced uh, manufacturing center at Sheffield, at the University of Sheffield, one of our members. And that's great in, a great and innovative approach you know, yeah. that picks the best from the open source ecosystem to drive solutions. Another thing in data, another very interesting trend that we have seen is that, um, you know, part of the, the problem with data aggregation is to, you, you want to aggregate things and make things available and being able to query them. But at the same time, you have data sovereignty requirements where maybe I don't want this data to get out of this factory. I don't want this data to get out of this country or out of the European Union or you know, any, any, time, any kind of those scenarios. Um, the thing there is we, we, we've seen a very innovative project at Eclipse called Eclipse Zeno, which is a PubSub protocol. So like a bit like MQTT, let's say, or DDS, uh, because Zeno doesn't have the concept of a broker, but it's completely decentralized. Then you attribute uh, the role of a node as a client, a router, or an aggregator, etc. cetera. Uh, but what's great about Zeno is that it integrates the principle of distributed storage. So uh, what's, ha what's happening is that when you create a storage node in there, you have a number of plugins that enable you to pick from any, any number of open source SQL or NoSQL database. So you use the right storage engine for the job at a specific location. And then built in, in the protocol are capabilities to query transparently over all of those locations to, to and, and in some cases you can even have this shared data space, you know, that will grow across mm -hmm. the old the old mesh of nodes. And I mean, that project is really awesome. And to me, it, it is really the direction that we are heading to. Maybe we won't aggregate necessarily every, every, everything in the future, but we'll, tr we'll try to keep some of that data in the right location and make it available through standardized APIs like Zeno does, for example. Okay, <clears throat> that's quite uh, interesting. You know, I should really check out uh, Zeno. It sounds so, so, so awesome, eh? Absolutely, you can visit their website on uh, zeno.io. Uh, now, a hot topic in IIoT is that of uh, interoperability, you know, particularly semantic uh, interoperability. Now, what I would like to know is uh, why is interoperability so important uh, for the success of, of IIoT? And essentially, there are two, two important things there. Um, the first one is that any time that you spend integrating your devices and the various software components that you have in your architecture, you're wasting time. You're wasting money, literally like that. You know, uh, it's yeah. not a productive use of your time and you're not creating value when, when you do that. You're just doing what your uh, the suppliers should have done, which is to provide uh, you know, interoperability out of the box. The second reason is that data is really worthless without meaning, without context. You know, it's great to have all of those numbers, but if I don't know what this is, then obviously I cannot once again extract value, make better decisions, uh, improve my industrial processes or any, uh, anything like that. So it's so, so important to have interoperability because then, uh, you don't waste your time integrating things. And, and then your data is really valuable because 
this the fact that you have this semantic meaning throughout the whole uh, the whole chain of components that you have in your architecture really is what uh, makes it uh, valuable. And a third reason would be simply, as I mentioned, an ecosystem is only valuable when it is open. And so if you don't if you have to translate between data models or anything like that, then obviously uh, you, you're not as open as you should. Then uh, definitively there's, that's a weakness that as a manager or an architect, you need to address in order to go forward. Oh, okay. Now we're talking about interoperability. Uh, you are part of the uh, MQTT Sparkplug uh, working group, uh, which seeks to, to, to achieve uh, interoperability in IIoT. So uh, uh, in that regard, I've got two questions for you. Uh, first of all, what I would like to know is uh, what is the real value of uh, Sparkplug uh, to implementers? And then also I would like to know what is the real value of uh, uh, Sparkplug to end users? Yes. So for people maybe listening who are not familiar with Sparkplug, let's take a step yeah, back yeah, a bit yeah. and talk a bit about MQTT. MQTT, PubSub protocol, has been around for over 20 years now, very mature. You have a number of open source uh, solutions and commercial solutions in the place. So it's great. One of the great things about the MQTT specification is that it doesn't tell you anything about the payloads for the messages that you are sending. So it's very flexible. One of the bad things about MQTT is that it doesn't say anything about the payloads. So you are receiving those messages and you have no idea what this data is about. So the whole point of Sparplug is to address that. It, it does three things in order to create interoperability out of the box in the MQTT ecosystem. And those three things are, first, it defines a set of generic standard payloads, but that you can extend in a standard way in order to really address your use case. And a great example of that is what Sheffield, University of Sheffield has done by using the OPC UA data model and putting that on the top of Sparplug as the, the, the Sparplug protocol uh, lets you uh, do. Then Sparplug defines a standard set of topics. So uh, essentially a topic is the place where you publish or your information or to subscribe to. And once again, this is free form in MQTT. You can, you can name them any, anything you want. So this is a robot telemetry or this is a, a Star Trek or whatever. I mean, you know, it's completely arbitrary. And so out of the box, you have no idea what would be the topic that your new robot will, will want to publish to or subscribe from. Um, and that's a problem. So Sparplug once again defines a standard hierarchy of uh, topic structures. And then the third thing that it does is uh, to add uh, stateful session management on the top of MQTT, which is something that you don't find in the base protocol. So all of those three things are really critical to uh, make MQTT infrastructure interoperable. So what are the advantages now for the implementers of Sparplug? First, it's the faster time to market, right? In the sense, uh, Sparplug is an open source pr uh, protocol specification at the Eclipse Foundation. And you just, you know, you can implement it uh, freely uh, without having to pay uh, any uh, royalties to anyone. Uh, and, and obviously we have an open source implementation. So in the Eclipse Tahoo project, so you can just pick up Tahoo and then integrate that to your stack and wham, uh, you have already uh, Sparplug uh, compliant. 
then uh, there's the simplicity in Sparkplug. You know, we, we talked about OPC UA and it's a great thing, but it's over 3000 pages long, which means if you are a new entrant as a, as a software publisher to the market, you have to master all of that. And that's intimidating. The Sparkplug specification is less than a hundred pages. So it's inherent simplicity means that it's, it's certainly easier to implement and easier to maintain and integrate. And then what we're about to introduce in the second part of the year is the Sparplug compatibility program. So essentially, there will be an open source technology compatibility kit or TCK, like on the model uh, that we've got in the Java ecosystem with OpenJDK. So OpenJDK is Java compliant because it passes the Oracle TCK for Java. So we'll have the Sparplug TCK developed in open source. Uh, and people will be able to download the binary of that under another license so that you wouldn't modify the TCK at runtime. And anyone will be able, if they have implemented Sparplug, to pass the TCK and then get an official result that you are compliant to the standard. And then if your code does that, you can join the Sparplug Working Group and the Eclipse Foundation and be part of the compatibility program. And then you have those uh, Sparplug compatible stickers that you can put on your devices or on your website. And, uh, you know, we are creating an open ecosystem there that really will have value so that if you are then uh, in the market for gear or in the market for software stacks, you can pick from our compatibility page that will appear on the Sparplug website and be sure that things will work out of the box. And that's the whole point of the initiative, interoperable MQTT infrastructure. Oh, okay, awesome. Awesome, so maybe while we're still on that topic of, uh, of, of Sparkplug, you know, uh, one of the main concerns uh, in the industry uh, in fact, I actually saw this in uh, one of your posts on LinkedIn. Uh, it is this idea that uh, binding Sparkplug to a single protocol like MQTT uh, might cause problems in the future. So what efforts are there to, to, to future-proof uh, uh, the, the, the Sparkplug uh, if it needs any future-proofing at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, this, this whole debate about Sparkplug being tied to, 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 to MQTT to me is a bit, uh, is a bit of um, a sideshow in the sense that, um, how would I say that? MQTT, when, when we, you take a step back, this is an open standard. Okay, this lives at the OASIS consortium and you know, it's built in the open by a, a wide ecosystem of uh, commercial and open source players. So, uh, you know, uh, locking, locking yourself into uh, MQTT means that, well, that's not really locking because you have so many choices and, and some, so much maturity in there. And, and then with the emergence of MQTT-SN, you know, one of the, of the worries about MQTT is that it's tied to TCP IP, which means obviously in low power scenarios and things like that, maybe you are consuming a bit more energy that you'd like. So now uh, we've seen work uh, on MQTT-SN, the SN there is for sensor network that will decouple MQTT from TCP IP and bring it to UDP and other uh, transports uh, like that. Um, so right now, uh, Sparplug is not necessarily compatible with MQTT-SN, but you can expect if there is demand in the market, right, uh, if that's a concern for people that uh, you will see that appear at some point. And in any case, if you care about that, let's say uh, to, 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 to the people listening or watching us, yeah. um, if you care about that, 
you can propose such changes to the Sparkplug specification. It's built in the open, open in, uh, on GitHub. So you literally submit a PR on GitHub on the spec to propose new features and things like that. And then it's up to the, to the project team to decide, but still, you know, this is, this is an open thing. So, uh, Sparkplug, yes, is, 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 uh, is building on MQTT and there, there's a good reason for that. Um, the Sparkplug specification would, would be much more complex if we were specifying our own transport, low-level transport protocol beneath Sparkplug. So by building on a well-known and mature protocol like MQTT, we make Sparkplug much simpler, which is one of its main draws. It's easy to implement because it builds on all of the great innovation in MQTT. And, uh, you know, to me, that's not necessarily a problem uh, because eventually, if, if there are other protocols that are uh, better than MQTT that appear in the market, uh, since Sparkplug is an open source specification, nothing prevents you from taking the base data structures and principle and try to adapt that to another protocol. It, but we don't see necessarily a, a demand for that in the sense that uh, it's great to, sell, to tell, hey, my protocol can, can use TCP transports and non-TCP transports and... You know, do, do people in the field really are asking for that or are they asking for interoperability and simplicity? To us, they are asking the later two rather than just uh, a nice uh, theoretical, uh, so to speak, flexibility yeah. in, the, in, in, the, in the transport layer. More than that, um, I, I, I told you a bit about Zeno. Uh, as, as a protocol before. And, and what they've been doing, the guys building Zeno have, have a deep, deep investment in DDS as a protocol. And what they've done, uh, since DDS doesn't root well uh, over public, the public internet, you know, it's very good at, uh, in closed networks, but it's very difficult to route if you need to bridge two separate locations over the public internet, and then you have to, to deal with lots of network complexity. So, so Zeno can encapsulate DDS with very, very, very little overhead. Okay. okay. And, and then Zeno itself supports a variety of flexible protocols, like it, it supports TCP, it supports UDP, it supports uh, the new Google uh, Quick uh, innovative uh, uh, transport there. So you've got a choice. So eventually, nothing would prevent you, for example, to do Sparplug over Zeno, for, 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 for example, if you absolutely want, for whatever reason, to, 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 to be decoupled from, uh, you know, a specific, uh, specific lower layer transport protocol. So there are a variety of approaches there, but ultimately what drives us at the Eclipse Foundation are not theoretical concerns or academic discussions. It's about real developers trying to do things in the market. And right now, you know, people are quite happy with MQTT mm -hmm. and people now are quite happy uh, with Sparplug because it, it solves real issues for them uh, when they are trying to implement real projects in the real world, not, you know, discussing theory, you know, theoretical advantages in, on LinkedIn or elsewhere. Awesome. I mean, that's, Makes quite a lot of sense there. Thank you. Thank you so much for that uh, answer. Moving on, uh, one area of IIT that I'm uh, personally uh, researching on uh, is uh, is digital twins. So, uh, can you tell us about open source digital twin uh, frameworks that are valuable and how they work briefly? 
Yes, absolutely. And, and, and there, uh, unfortunately, um, I can speak mostly about what we are doing ourselves at the Eclipse Foundation. I know there are other things that exist and maybe I will miss part of that because, well, <laughs> I'm already juggling three working groups and 50 plus open source projects yeah. at Eclipse, so that's yeah. enough to keep me busy. But essentially, um, we have at least two major projects that have deep uh, support for digital twins at the Eclipse Foundation. One is Eclipse Ditto, which is literally a framework for digital twins that has uh, been contributed to us by Bosch, so a major uh, industrial player in Europe. And, and then there's the Eclipse Cura uh, framework, uh, gateway framework that also has a support for digital twins. Uh, so obviously the, the, the Cura approach is, is really, um, I would say that Cura is a, a, a great uh, product with a great uh, web-based user interface and you can log into that and then create your device definitions and things like that and there are some import mechanisms and uh, really devices are first class citizen in 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 Cura uh, in the sense that you know um, there are many features that that are built around them and and the Capua um, the Capua uh, IoT platform that goes with Cura is able to manage those actual devices that would be in the field. So you model them, so to speak, in Cura, and then you can uh, you can manage the actual devices uh, that you are building things from in uh, in in Capua. And then, uh, yeah, the going back to Zito. Uh, Zito is a digital twin framework which is open and has uh, direct integrations with MQTT, for example, so you can get the real data straight from there or use Zito with other components. But really, uh, what is fascinating about the Zito approach is how they fit digital twins in their overall IoT framework at Bosch. Uh, so Eclipse Zito is accompanied by other Bosch projects or I shouldn't, I shouldn't call them Bosch projects. They originated at Bosch, but obviously now they are in open source and uh, they have a, a strong open source community around each of them. But essentially the four components there are uh, Zito for the digital twins, Eclipse Vorto for modeling, Eclipse Hogbit for device updates or software updates over the air, and Eclipse Ono as a, a high throughput, highly scalable uh, message routing platform. And, and, and Hono speaks multiple protocols and converts everything inside to AMQP or Kafka, depending on, on what deployment model you prefer. So Ditto is a part of that. And what's fascinating is the whole workflow that they've implemented in open source. So Eclipse uh, Vorto, as I said, is the modeling environment and it's got a domain specific language where you, do, you define the properties of your devices. You can export straight to code from that if you want. So yeah. it's got uh, code generators for C and Java and things like that. But you can export that to a, a Zito device, a digital twin definition. So you use the DSL, you define your basic generic models, you export that into Ditto for the runtime digital twin experience, and then Ditto can uh, integrate with MQTT and other protocols directly, or you use maybe Hono as a high throughput message routing so that you know, maybe not all of the messages are, are pertinent to uh, what you're trying to achieve in Ditto in, the, in your digital twin. So you route only part of the traffic 
to ditto that way in order to get the real-time data, just the real-time data that you need uh, to, to, to your digital twin implementation. And, and what is great about ditto is its maturity and its openness in the sense that you can use it standalone, you can integrate it with other components in uh, the Eclipse IoT ecosystem. And, and, and really it works well and we've seen you know, great adoption for it uh, and great interest for it in the, in the market. Oh, awesome, awesome. Now, uh, security is, is perhaps the, the, the most important aspect of uh, IIoT. I mean, without security, there's technically no IIoT. So uh, are there any open source software uh, for IIoT security? Uh, we don't have, uh, apart from a few exceptions, we don't have specific projects that are strictly targeted at security. What we've seen is rather each and every one of our projects is paying in individually close attention to the, the aspects of security that are pertinent to them. Okay. Uh, for example, we have implementations for all of the leading IoT protocols. So uh, co-op, we've got Eclipse Californium, both as a client and a server. Uh, Lightweight M2M, which builds on the top of co-op, uh, we've got Eclipse Lesson as a server-side component and Eclipse Wakama as a client written in C. Uh, OPC UA, we've got Eclipse Milo. MQTT, we've got the Paho clients, the Mosquito Broker, and now Eclipse Hamlin, which is IBM. IBM Watson IoT uh, MQTT broker uh, that has just been open source with us uh, from IBM, and uh, you know it's a it's a highly scalable uh, one that they will still offer in their cloud. So they are not just dumping the code with us; they are still using it. Anyway, so when you look at each of those projects, they are paying very close attention to the security standards in their space. So, for example, DTLS is an important uh, security protocol for uh, co-op and lightweight M2M, and uh, you know the the the, the Wakama project, for example, is relying on Eclipse Tiny DTLS, a C implementation of it. Whereas in the case of, um, of Lesson, which is based in, in Java, it consumes Eclipse Californium. And Eclipse Californium as a co-op implementation has its own support. Uh, I, I think it's uh, Eclipse uh, Scandium or something like that. I can, I can be wrong there, but at least you know, they have a specific subcomponent that addresses the, the, the security standards for co-op. And then you look at PAHO for MQTT clients. Obviously, there are specific, uh, you know, uh, MQTT over TLS and, uh, the, you know, digital certificates and things like that. So each of those technologies has its own public standard that lives mm -hmm. in a different place. And each of our projects is, is paying close attention to the security implementations that are uh, relevant to them. And, and us at the foundation, our job is to ensure that they continue to do that in the sense that whatever is the accepted uh, security standard in the market, then uh, we, we, we're trying to support that. And, and, and sometimes it means that we will collaborate with open source projects that are not necessarily uh, at Eclipse. To give a great example, I told you about our Eclipse IOFOG uh, container orchestration platform. Yes. And the other problem, you know, it's great when you have this controller, central controller somewhere, but you want to distribute your edge nodes or your gateways all over the world, right? In your various factories, or even uh, you want to put a node on every wind turbine that you are administering all over the world. Um, problem with that is 
if you want to do that and, and get remote access to those nodes, it's complicated. Uh, you will have to establish VPNs and it's... So there was this great project at Red Hat uh, that's called Projects Copper. And Projects Copper is a layer seven. So you remember the OSI model, so layer seven yeah. application layer. Uh, so it's a layer seven network proxy. So uh, it's based on the Apache Cupid uh, dispatch router. And essentially uh, what it does, it enables you to bridge together Kubernetes deployments or other types of deployments over the public internet without VPNs. So what Eclipse IOFOC did, they worked with the Scopper team to integrate Scopper in their base platform. So now you can bridge all of those uh, FOG nodes or, or edge nodes all over the place over the public internet without VPNs and in a highly secure fashion, uh, simply because IOFOG relies now on uh, Project Scopper and Project Scopper is written by bright networking guys at Red Hat. Yeah. So I think uh, the approach there is really when we have to support specific security technologies because this is mandated by the, the, the specifications we implement, our projects do the job and they do it quite well. And then we're not networking specialists at Eclipse necessarily. I mean, infrastructure is something that lives at uh, the Linux Foundation and, and in some other uh, places. Mm -hmm. So then we integrate and collaborate with other open source communities uh, in order to really bring the level of security that people want in our Eclipse IoT solutions. Awesome, no, that's, uh, that's quite interesting. Now, to, to close the session off, uh, can you tell us about um, uh, the vision, uh, mission, and the role of uh, Eclipse uh, Foundation uh, in general, and uh, the Eclipse IoT uh, in particular when it comes to, to industrial IoT? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, uh, I kept repeating throughout our conversation this morning that open source is really important to industrial IoT. But you have to remember that not every open source project is the same, okay? okay? In the sense, anyone can create a repo on GitHub and put it under an open source license. But then if you consume that code, there's no assurance of anything, right? Uh, the guy uh, can get tired at some point or die and then the project dies. And you have to remember that uh, when you build an IoT solution, your whole solution is only as robust as the weakest dependency that you've got. And there are some, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> scary things uh, to, to, to be said about that. So not all open source is the same. So then, uh, you know, it's great. Sometimes you will have single vendor uh, projects from uh, in the open source world like Spring or uh, even the Go language, which is highly popular. But the problem with those, yes, it's open source, but there's one people calling the shots at the top and that was Java's problem in the past, right? Okay. And, and, and the problem with that is that, okay, you care about it as a user and then you need absolutely this feature and you request it and you request it to the one, you know, making all the decisions at the top. And then they can say, nope, we don't care about that. You are on your own. So then, okay, you fork it, but that's not viable if you are a small organization. And so the real way to do open source is in a vendor neutral environment. Okay, where there's a level playing field between all of the players, whether this is a Google, IBM, or Red Hat, or whether this is a much smaller organization. And, and then 
that's exactly what we do at Eclipse, right? We maintain a level playing field where essentially Eclipse open source projects are self-contained meritocracies. So they each are a project lead and a committer and the development process. And the Eclipse Foundation staff, I don't have any authority over the projects that I care about. I'm just there to ensure they follow our rules, but ultimately their technical direction and decision-making, it's all up to them. Okay, and that's really important because then we have uh, many members and we have our working groups where lots of large companies are a member, but working groups, they don't have authority over open source projects. They have a relationship with them, which means that yes, a working group can promote a set of open source projects like we do in Eclipse IoT, 50 plus uh, open source uh, IoT components there, but ultimately, you know, it's up to the projects themselves to do whatever they feel is right. So our approach at the Eclipse Foundation is really that we are community driven. Okay. It's really about the committers and the projects and they do whatever they feel is right. And anyone can join, even if they are not a member, you can today submit PRs, uh, pull requests to an Eclipse open source project, even if you are not a member of the foundation. But obviously, if those technologies are highly strategic to you, then maybe you should join because you need and, and you know, grow the community. Anyway, right. uh, we are also code first, right? The simplicity in Sparplug is an example of that in the sense we don't care so much about abstract blueprints and architectures. We care about real world solutions with real customers, real uh, implementers in the field. And then we are commercial friendly in the sense that uh, we support a wide array of licenses that make commercial success possible. And we are all about open source, but open source that ultimately will create innovation at the top in the commercial space so that, you know, people have to, to, to earn a living. And we, we, we know there's no actual free lunch, right? Mm -hmm. Someone has to pay for things. So we are all about the commercial success. So that's the Eclipse approach. Now focusing on the Eclipse IoT working group. Uh, Eclipse IoT, as I mentioned, is about uh, 50 projects, about 50 members. You know, it goes up and down at times. Anyway, uh, we are closing to the 50 uh, member mark there. And what we are trying to do is to offer a great set of open source IoT building blocks that anyone can leverage on any cloud in any way that they want. That's literally the goal. And we've had, uh, well, quite a good success on that, but you know, more adopters are always welcome and more contributors to the projects is always uh, welcome. So essentially it's my role as the program manager for IoT and edge computing to, to really keep an eye on those communities, see opportunities, uh, seek new members, see new synergies, uh, and obviously coordinate with the other uh, open source ecosystems because in the sense, uh, we want to invent uh, OpenStack or Kubernetes. We want to invent Linux. You know, those are great technologies and we need to build on them. So that's why we collaborate with the Linux Foundation, the Apache Foundation, et cetera, et cetera, because we care so much about open source in general. And then at Eclipse IoT, it's all about our IoT building blocks. And they are not completely integrated, right? 
I, I'm not selling you. Oh, there are 50 projects. You go, uh, you go in a wizard, and then it writes all the code for you, mm -hmm. and it's all magically integrated. Some some hard work is required sometimes to integrate, but you've got the full flexibility, the full openness, and great community support from our uh, contributors uh, all over the world. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so that uh, brings us to the end uh, of this episode. Uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on to the show and sharing such uh, valuable insights with us. Uh, wish you all the best with your organization. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, certainly uh, looking forward to see the next episode. Uh, the past ones have been uh, great and uh, looking forward uh, you know, to see what you have in store. Awesome, thank you.